Sometimes shadows can keep us from reality. So I think most of you know my in-laws, Art and Joanne Wilson. Uh, they lived here for many years and last year moved to San Diego. But they kept a house in Sun Lakes in the first phase. Uh, it's a small house right on the golf course. And last week, uh, actually this would have been uh, two weeks ago, uh, my father-in-law at dusk was out in the screen room and he noticed out on the golf course uh, a coyote. And the coyote was kind of doing one of these things, looking back. Like, you know, it always seems like they're looking at you, right? So Cody's just looking back at, at, at my dad and the house there. And my dad said, that's weird, right on the golf course. You know, it's about 6 o'clock dusk. He gets a rock and he throws it at the, uh, at the coyote. The coyote doesn't even move. Of course, it didn't hit him, but, you know, back in the day he would have hit him, but not today. And, he, so, so he, and the coyote didn't even budge. And so he gets another rock and he throws it again. And it skips by the coyote. And so he says, I'm going to, you know, so he gets a handful of rocks, opens the gate and starts inching closer and closer. You don't want to get attacked by a coyote. That's a good story. And, so, and he keeps throwing rocks. And finally, he gets within 20 feet of this thing and he hits it dead on and it topples over. Well, it was a cardboard cutout of a coyote. And mom was back in the screen room praying, you know, and, you know, and, and he's just, you know, I don't get that guy. Don't laugh. You do the same thing, right? We think it's real. It seems real. We even treat it like it's real. But it's only a shadow. Maybe uh, you've heard the story about the nomadic Arab wandering through the desert. At night, he pitched his tent uh, and, and he felt very, very hungry after a long, hot day. So he lit a single solitary candle and he reached into his bag and pulled out a date. He opened the date to eat it, and when he opened it, uh, it was filled with worms. So he threw it aside and picked another date out of his bag, opened that. It, too, was wormy. A third was wormy. He threw that aside as well. He sat there feeling very hungry and finally decided on a plan, whereupon he blew out the candle and ate the fourth date. <laughs> Come on, this is not rocket science. Hiding from reality doesn't change reality. Truth does not vanish when you run, when it turns dark. In fact, truth persists in spite of darkness. We can't hide from reality in the shadows or the darkness. Former Vice President Walter Mondale, when he was describing the Washington, D.C. area, as you know, it's the political geocenter of the world, and, and, and then outside of uh, the political area. There's a big, vast area. And Mondale described D.C. this way. He says 67 square miles surrounded by reality. Reality is something we all have to face. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. As Paul was writing his, this letter to the Colossians, uh, he, he was concerned probably because, and he'd heard from Epaphras most likely, that this group of baby Christians were drifting into the shadow rather than living in the light. Instead of having their true north, they were starting to kind of uh, yaw one way or the other, and, and they were just kind of drifting away from reality and the truth. I think we'd all agree that sometimes the shadows fool us into thinking they're reality. I, I was a, when I was a teenager, we lived in a small house in a community called Crest, which is a little mountain town uh, east of San Diego. 
And it was a small house. There were six of us. Uh, and I was in the middle of the night one night. I was going to the I was going down the, through the kitchen, down the hallway to the bathroom. And down this little hallway, at the end of the hallway, there was a, a window. And as I turned around the hallway, uh, there was just enough light outside that I, I saw somebody outside the window moving, you know, just moving and then stopping when they obviously saw me. So I'm standing in the hallway and I'm frozen. And I'm thinking, I think I'm 14, 15 years old. I'm thinking, where's my baseball bat? But morally, more, more than that, I was thinking, where's my dad? You know, and thinking, OK, if I just slowly move, I'll wake up my dad and he'll help me. So I took a step and the, 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 the shadow stepped towards me. And I just froze again. I said, what do I do? And my heart is beating and everything. So I took another step and another step came towards me. And, and then it dawned on me that my grandfather, who was a carpenter that day, had removed the window and put in a cabinet from my mom and a mirror on the cabinet. I was terrified of me. I thought I was breaking into my house. It's easy to mistake shadows for reality. A shadow whispers, this is it. This is the real thing. This is a coyote. This is a burglar. But it's not reality. So what was this shadow? This image that Paul was so concerned about uh, in the church in Colossae. What was keeping them from reality? I want to read to you just four verses from our text today. Chapter 2, verses 16 to 19. Follow along with me in your Bibles, in your bulletin, or on the screen. But this is the word of God for you and for today. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you, excuse me, disqualify you for the prize. For such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it. To grow. Paul basically is saying, don't worship the shadow. When Jesus, the reality, is right in front of you, don't worship the shadow. The Colossians church had been infiltrated by other religions, other philosophies, Gnosticism, antinomianism, and others. And all of them said the same thing. You can keep Jesus. It's all right. Jesus is good. We remember him. You know, he was here just maybe 30, 40 years ago. He's walking on the earth. He was good, but he's not enough. He's not enough. And so they would add uh, Jesus plus astrology. That was very big in Jesus' day. Uh, Jesus plus the worship of angels. Jesus plus asceticism. Asceticism was this adherence to a strict set of behaviors and rules. You know, do this. Jesus plus do everything correctly and then you'll be okay. Put God in a box, love Jesus, plus rules, right? It's all neat and tidy. It's all fixed. Paul says, you're worshiping the shadow, not the real thing. You're, you're, you're forfeiting the thing that matters for the thing that points to the thing that matters. You see, the thing about making your religion about the thing is you end up worshiping the thing. You end up focusing on what you do or you don't do. 
And you, you literally miss out from God. A great movie about this idea of shadows and worshiping the wrong thing. If you've not seen it, I don't know, it came out maybe 10, 12 years ago. A film, how many have seen Chocolat? Chocolat, Johnny Depp, Juliette Binoche. It's an awesome movie. I want to show you a clip from it right now. I pray to the Virgin Mother to soothe Charlie's soul in his hour of suffering. You understand an animal has no immortal soul. I understand, mon père. Yet you flout God's law. I'm weak and a sinner. What else? Impure thoughts. The woman who runs the chocolaterie. Vianne Rocher? Uh, she suggested I buy chocolate seashells for the widow Adele. And, well, I guess that got me to thinking about the widow Adele. At her age? <laughs> At your age? Yes. And yes. And just what were you doing in a chocolaterie during Lent? It was for, for Charlie. Again you flout God's law. Well, but if Charlie has no soul, then there's no harm in him breaking Lent. <laughs> Ten Hail Marys, twenty Our Fathers. You see, when you focus on the shadows, I'm serious. When you focus on the shadows, on the things surrounding God, you get all goofed up, you get all twisted up. Instead of focusing on God, even I love even the shade of that movie is kind of dark and shadowy, and and the confessional is you know is shadow. Everything is about the shadows, about the thing, instead of being about God. He was getting so mixed up about the minutia, he forgot what he was giving confession to. Religion is not the answer. Religion is a shadow of the real thing. Paul's great theme of freedom in Christ uh, was about getting lost in religion, in legalism, in religion. Uh, in fact, this is the Magna Carta of, the, of Christian liberty. You, some of you know it by heart. Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The shadow is false religion, legalism, works righteousness, performanceism. This is not real. This only points to the reality. It's a shadow and it keeps so many people from the real thing. The reality, as we saw in our text, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His grace, His salvation, His redeeming love for you and for me. This is the age-old heresy. I don't need God. I can do it myself. If I work hard enough, if I have a clean enough mind, if I do the right things, more and more get more and more religion in me, if I do more and more religious holidays, if I'm circumcised, if I worship angels, if I speak in tongues, if I read the Bible, if I do all, then, then, then I am acceptable to God. We believe that we somehow are God. It's, it's like this. Take a look at this. These are all cats. And they're all saying, thinking to themselves, I am God. 
The primary reason the cats will never develop a system of organized religion. Humans are like, yeah, Carol, humans are like cats, right? We think that we are God. We don't need religion. We, we just need maybe the shadows, the surrounding parts of religion. Jesus, the Bible tells us through Colossians, it screams to us, Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. He is preeminent. He is supreme. You need not add anything else. The most free people I've ever known who know this and believe this and their lives are constantly pressing into Jesus, not pressing in to things surrounding Jesus. In the, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 11, uh, most of you know the story of the Tower of Babel and and somehow the, these people decided that they could they needed to reach God because they weren't very much in touch with God. And so they started building this tower to God, you know, get closer to God. And, and, and the more they did, the more they thought they were getting closer to God. So we're always trying to find something that we need to climb. We're trying to find a mountain or a ladder somehow to reach God. We're believing in the shadow that Paul says is not the reality. Lewis Johnson, a former professor at uh, Dallas Seminary, uh, said this. One of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Christian Church today is the problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was legalism. In every age, it is the same. Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. The Christian under law is a miserable shadow of the real thing. So I I remember well, my pastor growing up, uh, he's with the Lord now, Pastor Woodhouse. And... um, and all through growing up, he, he took me under his wing. He was really good to me as a boy, an older boy and a teenager. And we had a lot of good times together. But there were things about his teaching that just drove me nuts. One of them was he would get up and preach literally for 45 minutes. He would preach and rail against one thing. One, he'd pick out a sin. And the, today, this is the sin of the day, right? And often it would be alcohol. And this is now, this is back in the 60s. And, and he would just rail and say... The Bible says you can't drink a drop of alcohol. If you drink one drop, you're going to, you know, end up an alcoholic and just rant and rail and all of it. And I remember after that, I thinking to myself, now, I didn't drink. My parents didn't drink. It was no big deal to me. But I remember going to Pastor Woodhouse and saying, Pastor Woodhouse, something's wrong here. He said, what? I said, well, Jesus himself never said you shouldn't drink wine. In fact, he turned water into wine. And this is what Pastor Woodhouse said to me. Just because Jesus doesn't, doesn't mean you should do it. Two wrongs don't make a right. What? (laughs) What? Two wrongs don't make a right? That's legalism. It's an attitude, a mentality based on performance and pride. It is an obsessive conformity to an artificial standard for the purpose of exalting oneself. I do this and I don't do that, therefore God likes me. If only I could do this, then I would be acceptable to God. That is legalism. And friends, that's a shadow. It's not the reality. My grandfather, uh, Grandpa Cross, he died in the mid-90s. 
uh, he was uh, he was born in 1901. So he was old. He was in his 90s when he passed. But he was a wonderful guy. Grew up in the South at a Southern Baptist church, had some problems like, like we all do, some flaws in his character. But one thing he believed in is he believed the Ten Commandments and he believed that every Christian should do the Ten Commandments. Or at least, you know, eight out of ten. And he, you know, he was just, you know, he was just firm about that. And the one that he loved the most was the Sabbath one. Because it was pretty easy, right? You know, don't work on the Sabbath. That means you could watch football. So, 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 don't worry. So, Sunday night after church, he asked his pastor and wife to come over to their house and just felt, have fellowship. Well, that's good because Christians love to fellowship. So, evening service got over about eight, eight thirty. They got over grandma and grandpa's house at nine and they just visited. Now, they didn't serve any food. Because you don't work on Sunday. You don't cook on Sunday. And you don't serve on Sunday. So, so they were pretty hungry. And they managed to uh, skirt around the, ten, the, the commandment by drinking coffee. But that's another story. And uh, so, so they were uh, just talking. And the pastor about 9, 11 o'clock said, Man, we're tired. We've got to go. Oh, no, don't go home yet. And at 11.30, no, don't go home yet. And then finally my grandfather gave him the agenda. As soon as it hits midnight, we're going to White Castle. And we're going to buy a bag of hamburgers. Because we can't buy White Castles before midnight because that would make some poor schlep at, you know, minimum wage that's working at White Castle who actually work. It would mean that you would actually have to do something. That's legalism. That's the shadow. That's not the thing. So often we make the thing the thing. Jesus and his disciples in Mark 2 were in a grain field. Disciples were hungry. And, uh, and so Jesus said, well, duh, it's on the Sabbath now. Look around you. There's grain all around you. Grab some, you know, enjoy. So they started eating some of the grain and, and uh, suddenly, you know, out of the bushes pop up the Pharisees. They were always trying to f- trip you. Aha! You're eating and working and, and harvesting right on the, on the, on the Sabbath. And, and this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You see what we're talking about here? People get hung up on the thing. The Sabbath. White Castle hamburgers. Something. They get hung up on the thing. They get hung up on the coyote. But it's not the real thing. The real thing is not the Sabbath. It's the Lord of the Sabbath. Galatians 3, 1 to 3. We read it this It says it this way. This is fantastic. Listen to this. O foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if it had been a, seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Because the law of Moses, what, was the thing. Okay, if we do that, we're in. Did you do it by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort or in the King James Version, by your flesh? You see what Paul's saying here? We're always worshiping the shadow, the thing. And always, especially in Colossians, Paul says, no, the only thing to worship is Jesus. And he is enough. You don't have to add something to Jesus. He is enough. Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus human effort equals nothing. 
Good works, the law of Moses, astrology, observances, dancing, smoking, drinking, movies, cards, all of it. You know, I can do or I can't do. No, that's shadows. You are free, Paul says. Live like it. Now, legalists do three things. Legalists twist the truth to conform to their rigid doctrine. Uh, back in the, again, the church I grew up in, um, our family was very close to the Stanback family. And in the Stanback family was Susan, who was my age. And I didn't realize this until way, until I was an adult that she liked me all through high school. And as a teenage boy, I was clueless as to those things, you know. And, uh, but, but Susan and I were friends. And, uh, and one time she had a boyfriend when she was in high school. And the boyfriend was the only black kid in our high school. Okay, now, Susan, she's really liked this boy, and the boy liked her, and that was her boyfriend. Well, when her mother and father found out, they were so angry, they were so furious. They, now, at the time, I was kind of serving as the, ex, the de facto youth pastor, because I was in college at the time. And they came to me and they said, you've got to demand that Susan stops seeing this boy, because the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. I said, What? <laughs> You know what? That was the same argument that was used 150 years ago in the South to keep blacks away from whites. Don't be unequally yoked. I said, Mrs. Stanback, I said, it has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with race. It says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this kid is a wonderful Christian boy. Well, she wasn't having any of that. That's what a legalist does. You twist the truth to conform to your rigid doctrine. Legalists also look for petty do's and don'ts. Oh, you're not a very good Christian if you do that. Oh, you're not a very good Christian if you do that. Legalism also, listen to this, kills grace by hypocrisy. Legalism kills grace by hypocrisy. He who was out without sin, Jesus said to the Pharisees gathered around the woman and taken in adultery, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Legalism, performancism, a shadow of the real thing. The real thing is Jesus and his amazing grace. In the text, the word grace is used several times. That word grace means to literally to, to bend, to stoop. Isn't that beautiful? You don't often hear that. You always hear the kind of the anachronism, you know, the uh, grace is uh, uh, God. See, what is it? God's riches uh, at Christ's expense. And that's nice. It's, it's good. But, but the word grace means to, to bend, to stoop. It means condescending favor, unmerited blessing. It means somebody that's literally groveling on the, the floor that you would come beside them and you would offer them your love. That's what God does for you and for me. Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. But love that stoops is grace. You all know the story of the prodigal son. It's such a beautiful story. We say it over and over again. But um, the, the part of the story that sometimes we forget is the story of the older brother. So you know the story. The younger son takes half of the father's inheritance, goes off, spends it riotously comes back with his tail between his legs and he asks his father for forgiveness and for grace. And the father literally lavishes grace on the boy. And he calls for a a, a beautiful coat to be put on the boy, 
a ring to celebrate that he's come back, killed the fattened, fattened calf and have this party. And all this while, the older brother is seething. And he's seething. Why? Because he stayed behind. Because he was the good boy. The older brother is the classic legalist. Classic. Because when the father said, why are you doing this to the son? He, 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 he destroyed your name or he tried to and he, he did all these things. Yeah, but my son has returned. And now we're, we're going to love him and accept him and receive him. And then the older son, and here's what the older son, this is what legalists also always say. But what about me? I was good. How many times have you said that to God? God, I've been good. What about me? How come I, I got cancer? How, how come my kids have gone astray? God, we, and we think somehow that our performance or the way we've lived our life should be enough to make everything work out in our life. That's what this elder son did. But here's, here's what the father said to the elder son. This is beautiful. He said, son, you are always with me. All I have is yours. See, here's what a legalist does. A legalist focuses on doing religious things. But one who receives God's grace focuses on just one thing. And that's the father. So the elder brother, all this time that the younger son was gone, the father was right there. The, the elder son had access to him 24-7. The elder son could be with his father at any time. He could enjoy the fellowship of his father. He could be embraced by his father. He could love his father. But instead he was so busy doing the father's work that he forgot to love the father. He said, son, I've always been with you. I've not got anywhere. I'm still your father. I love you. I'm wanting to, but the son was so focused on the thing. How often do we do that? We focus on the thing rather than on the reality, which is the love of God for his children. Brothers and sisters, please don't settle for the shadow, the cutout coyote, the, the appearance of reality, the real thing is Christ and Christ alone. The thing is not working real hard for the Father, but simply being in the Father's presence. Human effort is a shadow. The reality is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's a stark contrast. I want to close with this. um, That really took place over 150 years ago. Uh, William Ernest Henley, who was considered the father of humanism, wrote a poem in Gloucester, England, in 1849. I actually got these teeth in the mail. Anyway, uh, he wrote it in England in 1849. Basically, it declared that uh, we don't really need God. We're God enough. That's, that's the essence of humanism. We're God enough. And now you'll hear this in a few months at countless high school graduation ceremonies, and it's entitled Invictus. Listen to these words. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain 
of my soul. And then all the parents go, yay, my kid's on his way. No. That's saying, who needs Jesus when you're big enough? When you're capable? When you can do it all? The following year, a Christian woman by the name of Dorothy Day, an author, wrote a response and she titled it, My Captain. Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since his the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under that rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, despite the menace of the years, keeps and shall keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate. He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Would you pray with me?